This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Where this month they are highlighting local and family-owned Crowley Wines in Newburgh. They produce only 2,500 cases each year, and their specials feature Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, and Rosé. Stop into uh, Zupan's and see what's uh, get some great deals. Also, a few events you don't want to miss at the Breezeway at Lake Grove. Different dates for their popular lobster and clam bakes. They also have the Mediterranean Feast. I love this one, Hawaiian-style pig roast. And the prime rib and shrimp dinners. So you can go to zoopans.com for all that. Also, this is really important. Burgers on Thursday and Friday at the Lake Grove and McAdam locations. That kicks off May 24th and 25th, going into Memorial Day weekend. Right, those in the afternoon. So check yeah. the website for the actual times, which you're also going to want to go to to check their tastings. They have great selections of beer and wine. I know this weekend, which may have passed by the time you listen to this, but includes Ninkasi and even some a canned wine tasting. Nice as well. Um, and so get on the news feed at Zupan so you get that information up top, and you also get their free, sometimes you get a, I got free bounty, brownie bites yes, last week. that's right. It's great. Mm-hmm. From, and those are from St. Honoré makes those. One thing you'll discover at Zupan's, it's got a great bread selection. Yeah, they it's do. one of my favorite things. They have from Ken, Ken's Artisan to St. Honoré, New Cascadian for the, our gluten-free friends. Yep. And, uh, of course, Dave's Killer and other brands as well. I have to throw in, I don't know where they get it. It's actually Zupan's branded non-bread. Whenever we're eating curry at my house, I have mm-hmm. to go to Zupan's to get the non-bread and toast that up on the oven. Oh, man, it's good. Oh, yes. So the, good. I thought I, th- I thought it was N-O-N you were talking about. You're talking about N-A-N. N-A-N. Great. Non, non, non-bread. Zupan's.com, yep. right? Three locations. You can go to Lake Grove, McAdam, and, of course, West Burnside, and always Zupan's.com. Time once again for Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork. And now, today, it's going to be right at the knife. Yeah. Yeah, no, we, 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 very much right at the knife. So it's just kind of straight line. <laughs> we, we talk about, uh, we actually have a right at the fork moment in yes. t- today's episode. And of right identify at the fork. it as such. Yeah, we're just like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's why we decided to call this right at the fork. Uh, that's, of course, Chris Angeles, Portland Food uh, adventures and Court Johnson from Kink.fm. Yeah, it's always good to be here with you. Really enjoyed today's guest today. Yes, I, I, the hour flew by. Yes, we didn't have enough time. We'll have to. We'll have to do it again. Yeah, fascinating story. And I didn't even get to share my story of I have a a cousin who uh, sharpened knives. I say this past tense because he has since passed on. Uh, but he was a hemophiliac. And he sharpened knives and axes, and that was kind of the oh whole thing. It, it didn't die from cutting himself, <laughs> just so you know. But um, just uh, our guest today gets into just the the craft that is, the skill that is sharpening knives. And we didn't ask the most obvious question: is like, have you ever cut yourself? Yeah. <laughs> ever? Yeah. Ilo was looking closely at his hands, and it I didn't. missed that. Let's let's get him back right now. Let me run out to the street. Yeah. So, um, but. Eitan Zayas, yeah. a Portland knife house, mm-hmm. is our guest, and um, a really nice guy. I went into the shop to meet him. I don't always make a visit before we have a guest. I try to. I try to know our guests before we have them. Sure. But um, what, a, what a cool spot, and uh, what we did, what he, I didn't prompt him to indicate in the interview is that he said that um, 
he can't he has no verifi- verifiable evidence but he believes he is the most prolific knife, knife shop in the country okay yeah so yeah. You, you sat there dumbfounded yeah, and I, had to, I had to probably to process that a, process a little bit and i have I, I have no reason to disagree now this is my memory so the other day he could have said i have more knives i have uh, but it, I think it had to do with the selection of knives that he has yeah. in there. And they really range. I mean, you can go from getting something f- for not a lot of money that works very well to, you know, the three, four, five, six, I know they go higher, yeah. dollar knives. And uh, it's it's a neat thing to go in there. And as he said, they have food tourism that just, st- you know, there are people who go on food vacations and go what they've seen to where they've seen on food network and what they can read and he gets a lot of those folks so Mm -hmm. um really cool at the center of everything i mean dealing with a lot of chefs everybody needs a knife so really uh, a pleasure to talk to Eitan zayas of portland knife house right at the fork is proud to be supported by zupan's markets For over 40 years, unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to the freshest baked goods, flowers, and more, with a delicious emphasis on locally sourced items. The best of the Northwest Bounty can be found at your closest Zupans, on West Burnside, McAdam, or Lake Grove, and at Zupans.com. Eat well, put taste first, love your food. Ringside Hospitality Group. Owned by the Peterson family for nearly 75 years, Ringside Steakhouse has long been a landmark of the Portland landscape. And Ringside Fish House, in the heart of downtown, boasts the freshest seafood and an exceptional wine list. Both serve the world-famous onion rings that James Beard claimed to be the best he's ever had. Visit ringsidesteakhouse.com and ringsidefishhouse.com and make a reservation today. Join right at the Four Coast, Chris Angeles for once-in-a-lifetime trips this fall to eat and sip your way through Sicily, Mexico City, and PFA's famous trip with Italo chef Jose Chesa to Barcelona. See the exciting itineraries at portlandfoodadventures.com and find Chris's contact information there too. If you love food and travel, these trips are for you. And make sure to check in on local PFA events. And by San Pellegrino. Iconic, fresh, sparkling water with extraordinary Italian heritage is a refreshing way to enhance any dining experience. Ask for San Pellegrino by name next time you're having a great meal. Ever since its founding in 1899, San Pellegrino has been a premium brand synonymous with style. Okay. Sounds weird. I don't want to hear myself. I just want to talk. Yeah, well, you you said that the other day when we were talking, I think. Did you not? Do you not like hearing yourself talk? Uh, Never considered a career in radio, put it that way. Yeah, I've been... I've been compared to like a sleepy Sylvester Stallone when I was younger. I still <laughs> had my have thicker you, have accent. Have you grown out of that? What's that? I've uh, I've I've accepted it. Yeah. So where did the accent come from? Then where did where did you grow up? Uh, we started already. Yeah. yeah we're, okay. We're going. Right we're moving. on. I did not turn know that. Turn that phone off. Let me, yeah. Let me turn my you've phone been, off. You've been great already for What's for that? a minute. Oh my God! I've, I I honestly had no idea that we were on. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I didn't get to that part in our walk through the hallway that the that we're rolling already. Yeah, okay. I realized that. So, um, yeah, the accent is Israeli, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a very non-distinct. I don't think I sound like most Israelis, except for I have that eh connector, which you can never get rid of. Okay. And that's that telltale. Uh, I kind of, you know, when you point that out, 
and this is this is going to be showing how how many Israelis I actually don't know, but Gal yeah. Gadot, am I saying her last yeah. name right? Uh, probably. She has that same little accent yeah. at, at the very end. We all have it. Yeah. Yeah, we okay. all have it. But so where did you uh, adopt? That's an environmental thing. Too, uh, that is just an Israeli thing. Yeah, but I grew up. You mean it's both genetic? My, um, it is uh, cultural. 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 Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't say genetic, but uh, you know, that just goes to I don't know. Uh, yeah, no, it's just it's an it's an Israeli thing. It's a regional thing. And so, say. what region did you grow up? Uh, in? So I'm from yeah, born and raised Jerusalem, Israel. Um, spent my first uh, you know uh, 18 years there. Um, then went back for a little bit in 2002. And, uh, but yeah, I grew up speaking English. Uh, both my parents are Americans. They moved there in the sixties. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up in a English speaking household, but in Jerusalem. And uh, how would you compare that childhood to one that you could have envisioned somewhere here? Let's say, let's go to a, cause you, I, I would think I would just after spending uh, an hour with you say, oh, okay, I could be from New York. Yeah. Right. Uh, everybody thinks I'm from New York, except, right. except for people from New York. Uh, mm-hmm. but then because my mother's from Chicago. Then I actually meet people from Chicago who swear that I'm from Chicago. Okay. Um, I got Boston the other day. Um, South Philly, I guess. Yeah, you have a you so, have a slight. Uh, I would uh, say, even without the tattoos, you, uh, you have a a kind of cool gritty look. Uh, right. Oh, thank you. I'll take is it. That, is that okay? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, a guy yeah, selling knives. I think you it's should well have cultivated. You, exactly. You should have. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, it was a pl- yeah. it was so cool. So the way we yeah. met was um uh, I, we were both in Paiche yep. having lunch. Uh you were having lunch with Aaron yep. Adams. Yep, good he, friend. And we just had him on um last this week, last week, whatever. Last week running. So mm-hmm. and he said you got to meet Aton and we took a while. So uh so through the um through interestingly enough the vegan chef who should be uh should be promoting knives uh uh forks over knives yep he introduces <laughs> us to the knife guy to his carnivore friend yes yes to his carnivore friend yeah. so um that was kind of cool your shop is awesome thank you anybody really it's of interest to anyone because i don't know anybody who doesn't use a mm-hmm. knife or the, who has interest in that sort of thing and just to look at them, they're, they, you know, ranges from, it's a utilitarian product, but they're beautiful, too. Yeah, well, we deal with cooks who, I mean, most, most of our customers are cooks who just make, you know, 10 bucks an hour. And then we have, you know, collectors that come in, and then your people with the disposable incomes who just want something for their, you know, if they just renovated their kitchen and they, they state-of-the-art everything and they want the knives to. Uh, so we have the range. We're, we basically cater to those cooks. You know, everybody from chefs to prep cooks, and uh, we love them all. And you have, but you yeah. have a good consumer market too. Just yeah, we re- do. Yeah, yeah, retail. yeah. Yeah, we started off strictly, um, you know, strictly for for uh, professionals, and I think we just kind of, uh, without catering catering to them, we just got the home cooks mm-hmm. because they want to shop where the chefs do, and uh, and in this city they know their chefs. So yeah, so that. I think that stands to reason. Yeah, and it's awesome. We have a lot of food tourism here too, so mm-hmm. we have a lot of out of towners, you know, coming in, and a lot of people from, uh, you know, San Francisco and Seattle, and coming here to take advantage of the good food and the lack of sales tax. You need pictures but, on the wall of like your chefs with. You know what? Chef- my, my wife bought me a uh, whatever the new version, the new incarnation of a Polaroid camera is, and she's like, "Yeah, just take photos of everybody that comes in and put them up and." 
Uh, it's been at the shop for about a year now. And oh, you I just have been them. Too, I missed them. Uh, no, no, no. I never took a photo. Oh, I've been the... too embarrassed. Uh, yeah, I've been too embarrassed to snap a photo of anybody. So, well, then have one of your people do it. So, so yeah. One of your, what if you were just yeah, like, to leave it out? Because like uh, any more people are like, oh, a camera? Take a selfie here. Yeah. Or just yeah, put yeah. a sign up, you're on camera. <laughs> and then, yeah. Right, oh, and yeah. just ma- make or, sure it takes it. Or hire my 13-year-old. She'll take yeah. care of it. Yeah, yeah not just, even necessary. I don't want to name names, but we have one guy working that has zero shame. So I can just put, there, yeah, that's I the can guy. just put him, yeah. That's the guy. Yeah, <laughs> I, can, <laughs> I don't I think it requires shame. Like, you know, I forget all the time. I'm going to do it right now. Uh, we need a little... We need an avatar when we release the podcast. Mm-hmm. So how many, 50% of the time, one of us if, remembers? If that. Yeah. Right. Yep. So look at that. Look at that great picture nice. uh, of Aton right. right now. There you go. We got it. Right. Don't have uh, to say, hey, do you have something when right. it comes out? Yeah. It's a big microphone in my face. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I I have a better one of them at yeah. the shop right, with knives yeah. behind them. So I think that's what we got to use. I remember twice. I yeah. just made up for a lot of the ones we've forgotten. <laughs> sure. So, there you go. Put me on somebody else's podcast. Yeah. Well, <laughs> just use your face as the generic one when we forget. Perfect. That'll yep. Be, yep. That's actually actually not a bad idea. So, um, so when someone has come in who has uh, more disposable income than uh, than most of us, What's the craziest knife situation you've sold them, knowing that they're probably not going to use it to its fullest capability? Oh, God. I mean, we honestly, I, I can honestly say that we try to talk people out of buying stuff that's not for them because everybody wants the really kind of handmade, exotic uh, knives, and those are not, not generally the most user-friendly. So you're dealing with uh, really hard blades, carbon steels, not rust-resistant or stain-resistant. Uh, they're very, very delicate and we have to really read the person and see if they will take care of it. Um, but don't. But aren't there some people that have so much money it doesn't nah, matter? If well, they take sometimes care of it you just can't just say no. It. And I'm, you know, I got a family to feed, and uh, yeah, we'll sell them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah, we'll sell them. But I mean, we've had people that come in. Uh, you know, we do a lot of custom work, so we've had people that come in and buy a, you know, just a beautiful. You know, we put together a set for them. They spend a few thousand dollars on them, and then they spend. You know, another thousand, fifteen hundred, just to customize them, just to do, you know, just to put custom handles on them, exotic woods and pins and stuff like that, and a perfectly good knife, and they just want to make them their own. And um, yeah, again, you don't say no. I enjoy the work. You know, it's my favorite part of the job is, you know, is doing the actual, the actual hands-on stuff. So, no um, pun intended. So, yes. So, what did you do before this? Uh, and how long have you been doing this? You started in Phoenix. Yeah, we correct? started in Phoenix. Uh, started in 2006. So it's, that's uh, how it's long been ago. a while. Well, it's been a while. I yeah, mean, but I mean, it's a not... quarter of my life. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah it's see, almost a quarter of my that's life. That's my problem. When I hear that, it's like <laughs> such a small percentage, man. I gotta, I gotta stop and yeah, be outside yeah. of my own head. No, come on, we're not that far off, but yeah, yeah, no, 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 it's, yeah. So I've been doing this for uh, yeah, uh, almost 12 years now, and uh, before that, I used to cook for a living. Uh, did that for about 10 years. So how did the knife opportunity happen? Um, that's just, what we call right at the fork. Uh, there like, you go. We never mentioned that, Court, but that's the whole idea. Right. How did you, the crux. How did you make the move? There you go. I actually heard on the last podcast that you guys were trying to find a reason for naming it right at the fork, so I'm glad you were able to use that today. <laughs> that, was, that was it. Yeah, so, and, and I've always had kind of a love-hate relationship with cooking. I, uh, I got into it by accident. It was my first... Um, uh, when I moved to the U.S., my sister was a waitress at a at a uh, at a very fine restaurant called the Olive Garden, hmm. and got me. I've a heard, job I've heard as of that a, place. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, excellent. You should try it if you haven't, Chris. And, no, uh, but it wouldn't be a bad account for you to have <laughs> at, at your at your shop. Yeah, not my. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't. We don't really. 
<laughs> see things the same, us, us and Darden. But you know, but I'll take him if Darden. If you're out there and you want an account with us, please come see. Yeah, him. but um, and, yeah, and, so, and if they and if they listen to this podcast and they come to you, we want a commission. There you go. Right. Okay. All right, all right. It's a very, very slim chance of that, but Short, okay. Make note: we're calling Garden. <laughs> could right never, after. could happen. Yeah, could happen. <laughs> could happen. But yeah, that was my first. That was my entry into the food world. Um, I wasn't. I always liked to eat, but I never even thought about cooking. I just um, it wasn't an option when I was growing up in Israel. It just wasn't. Um, yeah, just wasn't anybody's radar. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't. In. Now it's in. Everybody's going to culinary school over there. Everybody's food crazy, just like everywhere else. But uh, yeah, so I just started as a busboy and uh, hated. Absolutely hated being a busboy and saw everybody was having fun in the kitchen. It was, um, you know, a bunch of dirt bags working there back then. And uh, I was just jealous. And uh, and then my next job, I, you know, I got fired from there pretty quickly. And then For ended what up, reason? Um, I, they wanted me to be a host and open doors for people and just be a greeter. And I absolutely, I absolutely refused. So uh, I'm not sure if I got fired or I walked out, but it was very mutual. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't a uh, I wasn't a people person back then. Right, and yeah, yeah well, now you have to be. So now I have to be, yeah. Right. But um, but yeah, and then my next job, I applied as a bus boy, and they said we don't need a bus boy, we need a cook, and you cook, and I lied and said yes, and they threw me in the kitchen, and I did terribly, and uh, but I loved it, you know, I loved it, and did that for a few years, and then I uh, went to culinary school and. I uh, moved to New York and cooked there for a while. And um, Any notable spots there? Or? And then, uh, yeah, I went there. So the reason I went out there was I got an externship at Oriole working for Charlie Palmer. Mm-hmm. And I stayed there for about a year. Then I moved on to Le Code Basque, um, Fiamma, working. Oh, wow. um, yeah, for Michael White. Um, I worked for, uh, I worked at Craft Bar and uh, Craft for uh, Tom Colicchio. And then, um, and then I thought I was, um, I thought I was moving to Croatia. Uh, that was the plan. As I thought, I bought a bar in Croatia. It's a, kind of a long story. I don't think an hour is enough for it. But you thought you bought it. I thought I bought the only that me and my buddy bought the only Irish bar in downtown Zagreb, and that was the idea. We were going to leave the U.S. and we were going to move there. He was in Israel. His uh, uh, his parents are Croatian, and uh, we thought we had to deal with them, and uh, we were on our way. And um, and uh, then we end up getting uh, beat out by Guinness beer, and uh, so the thing fell through at the last time. And you can't go hire attorneys but, for that. Uh, I was not. Over with. Yeah, so I'm not going to compete with Guinness. And uh, yeah, so we lost that. But in the meantime, I gave up my apartment in New York, gave up my job. Uh, I volunteered to, when I was working at Fiamma. So Michael White opened a uh, Fiamma in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I volunteered to go be on the opening crew, thinking I was just going to go there for just a few months and... Um, make some money and um, you know they put me up at the hotel and you know it was cool and then um, and then next thing you know I have nothing to go back to in in New York and I'm in Phoenix and um, kind of enjoyed it. Phoenix? I went from yeah. I went from Connecticut to Tucson and then back to Phoenix I, I didn't like Phoenix. You know, I still have, I have to be careful. I still have one foot in Phoenix, and everybody always ends up back in Phoenix. Right. Uh, you and will too you one day. There, and I got so business. And uh, yeah, and family and ties and, you know, right, and everything. Let's ask it this way. But, no, so You're I don't, in Portland, right? So, so you have a choice. You I'm in be, Portland for a reason. Let's just right. put it that way. But no, Phoenix, you know, New York was great for me in my 20s. Phoenix was awesome for me in my 30s, mm-hmm. you know, to get established and everything. And now that I kind of know where I'm at, then Portland is. You know, Portland's where I want to be. Um, and you got it. You're in a nice spot in the, Portland, right there in Belmont. I mean, yeah. it is a nice. 
You yeah. Know, you, you couldn't be, I think it's a great location. We're the only spot with parking in Portland. That's that was, what I was going to uh, say. It was easy to park. <laughs> that was the idea. That alone. <laughs> yeah. Gives you the yeah. advantage. Yeah, but if, um, just but, yeah, we're, so I think the question it, so was, know, so. While we're on it, yeah. because they could go to the website, but. It's on Be- it's on Belmont and yeah re- Belmont and twenty six twenty six right before you get to where you gotta take a left. We have no choice but to take a left. If in the left you lane. go that way, yes, yes, exactly. Not too far. <laughs> you so, go the okay. other way, it's a right. Yes, I got it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I think the question was how I got in the knives, right? I guess. Yes, uh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right. I'll, I'll keep us on track today. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so basically I ended up in Arizona. And um, um, so once I realized I was actually going to stay there because I um, I was enjoying it, you know, Israel was super angry and crowded and expensive and New York is angry and crowded and expensive. And now I'm in Arizona and I got all this space and, you know, bought a house for less than my studio apartment, you know, oh, yeah, much less. in New York was. So, yeah, I decided to stay, uh, left Yama, ended up working at Kai for a little while, and and uh, then I um, uh, a, f- a few things converged. As, um, one is I was about to turn 30, and I had a little early kind of midlife crisis, and uh, just decided I just don't want to work for anybody anymore. And my uh, the battle with cooking is the higher up you get cooking, the less you deal with food. And that's not where I wanted to go, because I'm mm-hmm. not a numbers guy. I just like working with the food and I like being a line cook and I, you know, I didn't really want to move up or take a corporate job or do whatever you have to do when you, you know, get older as a cook. Um, so yeah, so I had that little midlife crisis. And, uh, the other thing is I was broke and, uh, I had a lot of nice knives. So the guys I was working with, uh, I just started selling all the knives I didn't want. Anymore. So you had an interest in knives before you got to this point. Uh, you, were, you were collecting, you started you know, this oh, is what yeah. I like. Yeah, it was, it was becoming a problem. So uh, being fortunate enough to cook in uh, the city, so you're by this amazing knife store called Corin, uh, which is what started this business, basically. The, the, uh, the high-end knife shop, the professional knife shop as you know it today, um, was just started by Corin. And uh, we, all, we all owe them a lot. Otherwise, it would all be just the, uh, you know, Excalibur stores at the mall still. You know, no offense to anybody who owned or shopped at Excalibur. <laughs> Or you need a good or, sword, you just go to Excalibur. Yeah, it's, you know, swords and ninja yep. stars and, yep. Yep. you know. Or people steel, who go to malls. You know, you got, you like got to apologize to those people. Yeah. Or you got to disclaim it to those Which people. Which is uh, the entire state of Arizona. Again. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you're going to get me in trouble funny? over there. It's kind of, that's a big difference between <laughs> Phoenix and Portland is you really no don't find yourself yeah. in malls over yeah. here. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. because we can be outdoors. Yeah, so, but also the malls yeah. are on the periphery. There's not any. Well, there are. They're downtown. There are a couple of malls. But. Yeah, yeah, but it's a different. Yeah, it's a different mindset. It's, yeah, it's, it's, not, f- a right. it's, it's you, not a culture. Right. It's not a culture. Yeah, in Phoenix, when yeah. you have to get something, you immediately go, "Which mall am I going to go to?" Yep. And here, yep. you know, you know, there, and plus it's a different time for yeah. me. When I lived there, there was no internet, so you have that the, too. So uh, knives. So. Yeah. So I'd yeah. So I got really into knives, as you know. Like I said, I had kind of a love hate relationship with cooking. So just buying a new knife was a way for me to get excited about going to work again. And uh, if I wasn't feeling it, so I'd go and I buy a new knife, and I couldn't wait to go use it. You know. So next thing you know, I have a lot of knives and not a lot of money, and I starting I started just having to sell off what I had. So um, no one in Arizona has ever seen the knives that I had. So everybody was super excited about them, even the ones I I wasn't into anymore. And so I started selling off all my used knives, and then like how uh, many are we talking? And then like what was the what was the maximum? Um, I would say had? I probably sold about fifteen, maybe twenty knives. Okay. 
yeah, 15, 20 knives I didn't want anymore. And uh, then I ran out of the knives that I, you know, that I, you know, that I didn't want. And people were still coming to me as I was like, I was, was known as the knife guy. Anybody need a repair, pusher. sharpening, any of that He's stuff. Knife pusher. Uh, I was just, ah, oh, it's the same. It's exactly the same as selling drugs. <laughs> it just sells himself, you know? Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. It absolutely sells itself. Um, but yeah, and then I kind of got the idea of, you know, I didn't, I didn't invent the knife shop, uh, you know, as it is right now. But as far as I know, we were the first to combine, um, you know, the, uh, the whole, the uniform and the chef supply store uh, with the sharpening service and, and a high-end knife shop. Uh, so I basically, I tried to take uh, JB Prints, which the, not all the gadgets and everything, but some and a big uniform d- division and then combine that with, with you know, Corin as a knife shop. And, um, yeah, so as far as I know, we were pretty much the first. So, um, and it was very, very lacking in Arizona. They were just using, um, you know, uh, just basically Henkels and Gustafs and most exotic thing there was like a Shun or a Global. And it actually took us a lot of years to convince people that you don't have to buy one of those four brands. And, you know, and I think we've done that, you know, pretty well. Um, but yeah, so it was just, um, it was just a long shot. I never worked in a retail store, never ran a cash register, uh, never, never did any of that. I just decided, um, you know, decided to go for it. Plus, I would imagine yeah. integrating the sharpening service is great for business because how many people must bring their knives in for sharpening and they're just automatically there staring at these beautiful products? Oh, and- it's, it's absolutely, I mean, it's a complete ecosystem. Right. You know, it's an ecosystem. It's people who come in for sharpening, you know, buy knives, people come in for, you know, in Phoenix, we do half my business is actually in chef uniform. So people who come in just to buy a jacket, we'll see a knife and then come back in for sharpening and everything. Uh, so, so yeah, yeah, it's absolutely, we try to just, uh, you know, if you're into cooking, then we have kind of what you need and then you, it's a bit of a trap. <laughs> You know, Chris, uh, we had a great experience at Ringside Steakhouse the other night celebrating your birthday. Yes, it was a great way. They gave us, they sat, I was told beforehand it would be kind of, uh, it, it, we were getting squeezed in. Yeah, because there were, there were eight of us and they said, well, it's, you know, it's kind of kind of a big group. Here's the configuration. Late. Yeah, but was, I we were, waited till the last minute. It was great. And we were right in front of the fire. It was right in front of the fire and we had just a, it was a spectacular way and being the cheap guy that I am. I suggested we all go for uh, the prime Monday prime rib Monday night. for thirty five bucks, and I thought that you know if you're inviting other people and I'm not, you know everybody's coming and paying for themselves. I thought I'm not asking people to spend a lot to celebrate my birthday no. with me. It was thirty five bucks for th- three courses. I upgraded from the mashed potatoes. You ate with served. a lobster mashed lobster potatoes. Lobster mashed potatoes, man. I kept on looking over and seeing that, yeah, and well, I that, was like, oh, I made a mistake. That's for not sitting next to me, because uh. if you'd been next to me, you could have dipped in. It, seriously, if you haven't been to Regenside Steakhouse, this that's the perfect introductory to the to the steakhouse, is going on a Monday night and getting the prime rib deal, because it comes with the, the mixed greens to start with, then you get your prime rib with your choice of potato. You went with the, the uh, lobster mashed potatoes. I went with French fries because I'm old school and I like to dip it in everything. And then the creme brulee at the end. Yeah, you get that with it. And those aren't the only specials they have. They have the, at Ringside Fish House, they have the half price wines. I believe that's Sunday night. Yep. So uh, you go to rings, either of the Ringside websites, Ringside Steakhouse or Ringside Fish House. Dot com. And you Just can slap check that on out the end. all those wonderful things. And then the other thing that we had, too, that can't go without mention are the onion rings. Oh, yes. We had a few orders of onion rings for the table. Mm-hmm. 
Um, those are the onion rings that James Beard called the best onion rings he's ever had. And I'm going to, I'm going to, not very often that I agree with James Beard because I know so much more. The the level or the, the <laughs> amount of batter that's on those perfect. things is the perfect amount. I was blown away by it. Great. You mentioned the website, ringsidesteakhouse.com, ringsidefishhouse.com, and that's where you can make your reservations. So when did you get to so, Portland? So, um... I've been here four years, uh, almost. And, and how did you attack the marketing aspect of it? What the, was the first thing you did? I, I, I honestly did absolutely nothing. So uh, I did nothing in Phoenix in order to market. Uh, honestly, we just opened. It was me in a shop with some stones and not a lot of knives. And it just kind of took on a life of its own. And uh, we didn't know. The way the idea started is my wife and I came here for what's called a baby moon. So before our first son was born, uh, that was our last trip. We were like borderline not even allowed to fly. We were, I think like eight months pregnant, something like that. And this was our last trip that we could take. I've never been to Portland and we just came here for the weekend. And uh, having the standard Portland food list uh, that doesn't take reservations, we were just standing in line, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for an hour everywhere. And then if we could get into the bar or the counter, we would do that first. So we ended up sitting at a lot of restaurants or outside a lot of restaurants watching people cook and use knives and noticed that nobody was using any proper knives. The knives were dull and nobody was using them. So that's kind of where the idea came from. And uh, we honestly didn't move here in order to open the shop. We wanted to live here and we were just like, okay, that's a way for us to live here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's where the idea came from. And it took us about took us about eight or 10 months to actually make the move. We had to get the Phoenix shop running itself and everything. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, we actually came out here and we did no marketing and uh, we didn't know anybody. Uh, I had a couple of a uh, couple of people I knew that were you know cooks and cooks in Phoenix that moved out here, but we didn't have any kind of network or anything to tap into. Uh, we literally just found a place to open, and the second we took the paper off the windows, uh, the neighborhood started coming in, which was nice. And then about four days later, Eater wrote about us, and that was it. It was like all you needed. Christmas for two months. You know, we got, I couldn't even imagine a better welcome, you know. So, yeah, city really took us in, and, and uh, yeah, so we've literally done nothing, you know, done nothing to market. Well, you said and, you uh, tried a couple of things. but they uh, we, we tried last year, yeah. We tried last year to finally advertise, and it did not work for us. Um, but, so you and I talked about that. So, yeah. Court... <clears throat> We're on a little bit of a trial here because I think the knife shop would be perfect sponsor for the podcast. Oh right? sure, yeah. Don't you? <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. yeah. So now, <laughs> well, now that I'm on the spot, yeah. right? <laughs> no. So he said, "Let me come on and see how right. it goes." So we need people to call, just our friends, all the people uh, that love us. Now I'm ruining it, <laughs> and and go to the knife shop and say, "I heard you on right at the fork," or go to the website or the Facebook page. Something. Mm. Uh, I I think it's interesting, though, that you were able... I, I bring that up kind of in a joking manner yeah. because with no yeah. advertising whatsoever to just grow yeah. from one eater article. Yeah. And then, of course, chefs, this is a tight-knit market um, yeah. where word of mouth has to be everything for you. Oh, yeah, and don't piss anybody off. It's very clicky here. That's the thing. You yeah, can't it's piss very clicky off. and... and um, but yeah, we you know this was kind of an experiment for us because I didn't I never knew if we just got lucky in Phoenix, and I, I I honestly didn't know if we could recreate it, you know. 
And so uh, you you think you could recreate it pretty well, say in Seattle, if you want to um, grow? I think we could take this, uh, you know, almost anywhere, um, except we don't want to live anywhere. Do you, so you f- you, <laughs> you would know? feel now now that you've got you've got two, so you can see yep. a model that might work. Uh, you don't necessarily feel that you could like identify Seattle and say okay, and then hire somebody else to do that for you, or you feel like you need to be there and you want to be there. Yeah, so I do need to be there, and uh, it takes us. Um, you know, it usually takes us about. I mean, one of our last hires uh, for sharpening it took us nine months of him sharpening before we let him touch a customer's blade. Wow. Yeah. So it's not uh, the most difficult thing about this. Yeah, he is still there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He is still there, thankfully. But um, yeah, we got, um, you know, here we got very lucky. I found a guy who just had natural talent and he was, he was into knives and doing his own sharpening and he's my main guy there. And then uh, that's Eli. And then the second guy, um, we actually, he's he's the only guy in the entire, you know, from from both stores without a culinary bra- uh, background. But he was working in San Francisco, basically. He was, a, you know, was a knife maker, sharpener, handle maker for Town Cutler. So he's been doing that for five years. Um, so without those two guys, we just, I'd be back there doing everything again. You know, and it's well, taken years and for 12 years we found, you know, four sharpeners that work for us. So and were you really seeking, were you seeking out sharpeners pretty diligently? Well, we, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. We were, we were actively seeking them and then we realized that they, they, they kind of have to come to us, you know, you know, eventually because a lot of cooks want it and there's some amazing, there's some amazing chefs out there that are talented and make amazing food, but they can't, they can't sharpen a knife. So uh, it really is kind of a unique uh, talent, I think. And I'm not talking about myself here, it's just finding a person that can come into the shop and can actually deal with the customers and have the knowledge to back it up and actually be able to do the work. Because you can't afford to mess up even one knife. You know, even if we can replace it, even if we can upgrade it for a person, people come in with like their, you know, and, you know, they've inherited. Yeah, yeah. Somebody came in with the, you know, this scimitar that came over on the Oregon trail. Like, yeah. I don't know how long ago. And that was his, you know, it's been the family forever and just one false move. And you can do even, I mean, just, just cosmetic damage that you can't recover from. So it's, uh, it's more, it's, it's a little bit more sensitive work than it looks like. You know? Yeah. And people are, yeah. I would think pretty fond of their, People are super attached to them. Yeah, again, we can't we can't damage a knife. We can't lose a knife. We can't do anything like that. It's like you know, again, even if we, even if we can upgrade them, it's not the it's not the same. It's thing. not their first chef knife or the one that their chef gave them or you know stuff like that. So it's tricky. We have to be very very careful about it. So that's the problem with expanding too. Yeah, is is you're you're basically putting people out there and you don't have control over it. Well, but you're and, you've got Phoenix running, so you can, can you can trust what's going on down there. Yeah. Well, what we did in Phoenix is we have. Um, so I worked um, I worked by myself for the first three years, and then uh, the first guy that came on was Corey, and uh, and he's still there. So he's the he's the main sharpener for the company now, and and he runs all the. I mean, he's been doing it for a while now, and he came out of cooking. He has good cooking experience, and now you know good sharpening experience, and he runs the whole. And knife side for us, and then we have Melissa who runs the uh, just the business to business stuff, all our uniform department, and all that. And what we did is uh, the only way that we could leave was actually do profit sharing. Mm-hmm. So we just made them partners, and you know, and and you know, wow. we get profit, and you know, so we do profit sharing, and they're invested in it. 
Yeah, you can't have and, someone who's not invested. No, nah, and and the thing is, they were invested. They treated it like it was their own shop before, so right. it seemed like a natural, like a natural progression, mm-hmm. too. And then uh, yeah, and then that's it. We just have one guy, you know, one guy backing them up, have another sharpener there, and fantastic. And sounds like a small dream. business. It sounds like a dream because you. It's the best job I've ever had. Yeah, yeah. and do you anticipate <laughs> um, this is what you want to do for to go on into eternity? Can't imagine anything else. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, yeah, I don't know, um, yeah, yeah, I can't imagine doing anything else except that doesn't involve knives. My dream is to become a, a full-time knife maker, mm-hmm. um, and not uh, because I'm a, you know, because uh, that's what I want to do is I want to do more hands-on stuff, but right now I'm just uh, kind of trying to run the business and keep it going. And Do you have a lot of ideas for knives that are spinning around your head that you're not, you don't have time to... Uh, uh, Absolutely. Actualize them. Absolutely. What's so going on with my vocabulary today. I don't understand. <laughs> um, so you have some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a lot of knives that I want to make, and uh, just being in the business for so long and seeing it, I know what's what's out there and what isn't out there. So, right. And don't, you don't sell uh, uh, house knives, you know, that that you make yourself. Oh uh, no, no, no. We so just you, don't have the time. Right. We, but if you had the time, that the time. would be a nice little. And, and then you could wholesale that elsewhere. Yeah, well, the thing is, if you make your own knives, it's is there, there's there's a very limited amount that you can put out without having to have somebody else make it for you. You know, so we actually we actually have a forge in the Phoenix store, so we have a uh, we have about three thousand square feet behind the shop that we don't you know just open space that's not used. And uh, before I knew that, I was moving to Portland, so I the shop was kind of running itself already. And that's what I was going to do. I was, you know, I was studying knife making, I was working with people and then bought a 50 pound little giant, which is like a, a old school, just a power hammer and got a coal forge and a gas forge and built a little shed back there. And I was all ready to do it. And then we decided to move here. Yes. So that's still there. That's still what I do when I go to visit. I, you know, we, you know, we can fire up the hammer and we can do some stuff, but it's very time consuming. It's, um, yeah, there's nothing I could uh, fill a whole shop with. Right. Yeah. But maybe someday. you got a lot of years. Someday, yeah. So have you, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> what is the correlation in your mind? Because you've been in a lot of kitchens. You've met a lot of chefs in, in a couple of markets now. And certainly yep. you're around a lot in New York, some great chefs. Yep. What is the correlation between knife skills and the the quality of the food that, that we see? I mean, are the chefs that really have excellent knife, knife skills, are they a leg up on others? No. No, I would say I would that would be that would that would be a definitive no. Okay, so, good. Yeah, yeah, you're not yeah. There is I I know some people make amazing food that it just it's just painful to watch them. So I, painful to watch them handle a knife. That was my the first thought was <laughs> yeah. have you ever looked at yeah, yeah you've looked and at vice versa I see people with some amazing technical skills. So you, so you have thought I can't believe that's that person and that's what oh, I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've had some, you know, you know, James Beard winners that we've worked with on, you know, taught them how to sharpen, been in the kitchens, you know, we do a lot of demos. I go into a lot of kitchens and I do, you know, and I work with, you know, with individual restaurants, just training the cooks for, you know, sharpening. And I used to teach knife skills too. And, um, and it was just, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no, there's almost no correlation. That's interesting. Between, yeah, and then you see guys who are just like amazing, you know, just like amazing technicians with the knives, but they can't, uh, they don't they, they just don't have the other part, yeah. Huh. Well, that's interesting. So you can't necessarily, yeah, in your business, you can only know, well, first of all, you know by going to restaurants whether you like something, but on the other hand, uh, in the kitchen, getting a little back 
back of the house knowledge. Yeah, and doesn't help too much. <laughs> no, there's a lot, of, a lot of things that uh, you know. The other interesting thing is I see how people take care of their knives, and then there's certain there's certain places I won't eat because I see how disgusting the knives are. Do you want to name those? Uh, absolutely not. No, no, I didn't think so either. <laughs> you can tell us off air, though. I think Chris and I would benefit from that. Uh, yeah, that uh, we'll, well, which will probably end up on air, because nah, obviously I have no idea when we're on or I'll, not. So you, You'll watch <laughs> me turn it off. No. no. We, yeah, but there are, there are, there are knives that come in. There's, uh, there's been a few people that we just have to turn away because it's been, they've been uh, repeat, of, uh, repeat offenders. And uh, it comes down, uh, you know, it starts off as a matter of just like, um, sanitation, you know, and then it be just becomes insulting to us when people keep on bringing us knives with, you know, with food on them. Still with mm. food but just on like, them. yeah, with just black avocado chunks and fish wow. scales and meat and, stuck and on the, them and, and just are, greasy things. Are these restaurants we might read, read about an eater? Absolutely. So or we will have Absolutely. that on the podcast? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, gotta, these are. You would be surprised. That. Yeah, you would be surprised. So there's a there's a few places that I won't that I just won't eat at because I know what because I know what goes on and I know these guys don't. Uh, they are not washing their knives. Wow. And they're <laughs> yeah. not embarrassed to do. I would imagine they'd be embarrassed to bring the. To, uh, you would imagine, yeah. Yeah. You know, and then there, there's literally been a handful of people that we've had to just ask not to come back anymore because we just it gets to the point where it's like insulting when it's like the fourth fifth time and you come back and. You know, and you give me a knife with rotten, you know, with rotten fish on it. We need a wall of shame. You need a wall of shame, exactly. (laughs) Not not allowed. You're not. So let's flip that around to the positive side. Are there there any chefs that we in Portland who follow um, the food world who uh, take have taken particular interest in quality of knives and knife manship? Is that what it's called? What is what is the use of knives called? Knifemanship? Uh, uh, Slicemen? No, it's not. <laughs> Slicemanship. Let's call it slicemanship. I, I, I like that better than. I like that. Yeah. Just so everybody knows, I was joking <laughs> when I said. Um, I would Are there any say knife skills? I can't think of. Um, um, that you've been particular, not so much knife skills, but has taken a real keen interest and really cares about what they're using um, in the kitchen. Yeah, I would say. Um, I would say Departure has been one of those places Gregory. that has a big staff, mm-hmm. and um, and then yeah, him and uh, you know him and Jamie Flat was the you know I don't know if it was the CDC there or what his title was, but he's um, um, they actually I mean they brought me in twice just to work with their cooks and educate their cooks, and um, you know uh, you know Jamie's actually even come into the store and worked on one of our stations just to better his sharpening, and uh, they pretty much all come in and they they actually like want to learn. You know, and which, that would stand you know, to reason because the first thing I'm thinking about is sushi. Is that right? Yeah, or fish, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? They actually do have a really sushi. Need... Yeah, they do have a sushi section so there. Would... But even for the regular cooks, and even now they're, you know, uh, with uh, whatever the steakhouse is, uh, Urban Farmer. I'm right. going to be going. I'm going to be going in there, you know, and talking to their cooks too. Oh, they'll and, probably bring you down to Denver someday, right? Because so, I think they have both of those in Denver. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, that. Um, you know, uh, Naomi Pomeroy's, uh, you know, she's she's taken the time to learn. She's brought me in the kitchen to do an actual hands-on knife class over there with all the cooks. And uh, there's been there's been quite a few, you know, quite a few people here that have been, you know. So are the classes something that you do for good customers or you charge for? How does that work? Uh, well, uh, talks and demos and just working with people on sharpening, then I do for free. You know, anybody wants me to come in their kitchen, just, you know, give me a call, shoot me an email, you know, and if, you know, we'll 
find the time and I'll come in there and just do a demo and then I'll look at everybody's knives and advise. Uh, the hands-on portion is, yeah, we do charge. So we do we do classes at at the people's restaurants and we do a lot of classes in store too. Oh, so they um, can find that at your on your website. Which, uh, you know what? We don't have a be? website. Yeah. So website? Uh, well, go on. Yeah, you can go on PortlandKnifeHouse.com uh, or KnifeHouse.com, and we have a web page uh, with our hours and phone number. But we don't sell any products online. We're one of the uh, we're uh, one of the relics. So we don't have any pages you can click on. We don't have anything on any kind of information on there. Is there a particular? Um, is there a, a conscious reason reason for that, or is this not uh, something? I am computer phobic, mm-hmm. and I just I don't like computers. I don't like um, you know emailing too much. Um, I just like talking to people face to face. I think you want your knife guy to be and, uh, analog. Right? A, yeah, 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 right. yeah. I would say, I would say. So we're I'd, I always consider us to be like the uh, antidote for what's going on with you know just internet shopping these days. Um, so it's not a um, yeah. So I'm not like a tense you know a Ted Kaczynski so, type that wants to take it all down. But I just uh, recognize that that is not my forte, and we're busy enough you know as is. We have a hard you know we have a pretty hard time stocking the shop. Um, so if someone wants to so, know something, they actually oh, have so, to call. Well, they have to call, come in. Um, so the the knife classes in store, the open ones, we actually uh, we don't do them very often. We do them once or twice a month, mm-hmm. and um, it's That's often enough. It's That's pretty not, difficult it's not to get often in. To you, well, we we only do six people per class. Mm-hmm. So uh, the last one sold out in two hours. Uh, the only way to get in is we have a pad of paper in the shop, and if you put your email on there, then you get an email blast. And we have enough people waiting on the list that we don't announce it publicly, so you'll never see it on, you know, you know, Facebook or our, you know, website or I anything. I think that's cool. Uh, but you can call in and put your name on the list, and then as soon as you get it, you know, then then we have that class, and then we usually have an overflow class. It fills up too quickly. Then we have a class just for the people who couldn't get in. Um, so yeah, right now that's the way t- to do it. We we're trying to make it more structured, but we're not a very structured. Type of shop. No, and I think you know, that's the honest, way, uh, I think it's working uh, for you, and it's working yeah. for everybody, your customers. So yeah. that, yeah. yeah, and then we also do um, uh, buyout classes, which then you're guaranteed to get a class, but you need to have uh, you know at least five friends that want right. to do it. Yeah, it's six to eight people on that. And then do restaurants yeah. do that sort of thing too, like yeah. to bring their because let's face it, there are a lot uh, of young chefs who need knife skills. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And I actually like those classes better, to be honest, because then you have everybody is on the same, you know, everybody uses a knife for a living. Everybody has the same purpose. Uh, we can tailor the classes to what they actually do at the restaurant. So if it is a restaurant that they do have a sushi program or they do use, you know, uh, whatever they do at the restaurant, then we can tailor it to what they do. And then we usually have at least a you know a sous chef or a chef that's also in class that keeps everybody in line, and I can do a little bit more um, uh, kind of like the scared straight style of teaching, <laughs> 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 which goes a lot more than when I have to coddle people. The Middle Eastern so, terrorists. Uh, so is that the... uh, maybe more IDF than Middle Eastern terrorists, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um... Do you, when you go to a sushi restaurant, it must be interesting for you to sit at the bar and watch what's going on there because that's for me when that's my only real exposure uh, that situation watching that. Yeah, and if there is one place where knife skills and 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 food quality should go hand in hand, that is a sushi place, and uh, unfortunately, that's not the case with most restaurants. It's. Um, um, sushi guys are uh, th- th- some of the worst knife sharpeners you'll ever meet. 
in your entire life have been sushi guys. Really? Which is very surprising because they all feel like they have to sharpen mm-hmm. their knives. That is part of the job, you know. They use these, uh, you know, big bevel traditional Japanese knives, and you have to polish those every single night. So they have to put them on a stone, and that's just part part of the job. But it used to be that you need to have. To, I mean, you 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 had to learn how to sharpen your knife before you even were able to, you know, cut anything, right? You know, it's like the old school way of doing it, where you work at a place for you know, a, f- a few years and all you do is just basically do the rice and sharpen people's knives and do all that stuff. That is, that is so, so far gone, you know? So it used to be somebody, you know, somebody who knew how to sharpen a knife would teach the rest of, you know, would teach the new guys how to sharpen and then eventually they would teach the new guys and now you have guys who don't know how to sharpen teaching other guys who still don't know how to sharpen and pass that on. Or don't even think yeah. it's important. I mean, you could go with... My general method is when the onion gets tough and it starts tough to slice and it starts falling off the side. You just toss that's it. When I, no, that's when I <laughs> okay. need to sharpen it. I wait till then. Yeah. It's, yeah. So that's not the way to do it. But, <laughs> but no, yeah, I, and especially I, in a sushi restaurant, you would be surprised. You know, there are some places that are, you know, that are very, very strict and very, you know, and very into the craft. You know, um, but yeah, there's there's places that you know. Again, I wish I was less tactful and I could uh, and I could name names. It would be much more no, interesting podcast. Not, but it was uh, you know. It's but it's not my job. We're not, we're yeah, it's not my to, place to you know to you know to ruin anybody's reputation out there. I'm know? just gonna suggest that everybody go into the Portland Knife House and just try to get it out of him. That's all. Just <laughs> or or stock him and see where he's not eating, and then you know. Right. Well, you you don't even have to stock me because we are we are kind of a spot for food tourists. Like sure. we we usually we are on the list, so everybody's kind of used to coming in and asking us where to, you know, where to go eat. So right. we have uh yeah we have our list of places that we recommend, and you can tell, you know, you can probably so tell just by ask that. enough. What's uh just ask enough yeah, times, just ask then you enough, know who's not on the out. list. Yeah. yeah. What's on that list? Uh, who's on the, the recommended list? list? Yeah. What's on the recommended list? Um. 100% of the time. Would you prefer not to say it because oh, no, people no. need to come in? To no, 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 I don't mind. I mean, I don't mind telling people where I like to go. It doesn't mean that places I don't recommend are places I, that, I, that I don't want to go or anything, but right. I would say my my number one most recommended dish is the number five at Hot Yai. And that mm. is, I don't let anybody leave Portland without going to Hot Yai and just getting the number five. What's the number five? Uh, the number five, that's the, uh, so you know, it's a, you know, it's a Southern, Southern Thai fried chicken place. Uh-huh. So you have the chicken and then you have the curry and the roti and a, oh, um, yeah. and the sticky rice yeah. and uh, pickles. Okay, I think it's the um, only thing I've had when I've gone there. Yeah. And I think is maybe uh, possibly the best plate of food in Portland. Sure. Wow, that's <laughs> yeah. a, that's a, that's yeah. a yeah. Yeah. So I'll pretty go and say that. statement. Yeah, so I usually, uh, so that's part of my usual, yeah, so I usually don't let anybody leave without eating that. You're, you just prompted uh, me to go back there. I haven't been there uh, for a long time because I was scared away from a little bit of too spicy for me. Oh, they, my God, yeah. And, and so that, because of that, I sound like Shark Tank now. For that reason, <laughs> I'm at, and I'm not out on it. And right. I love Earl, and I love all he yeah. does. But I had one dish there that was just like crazy. Too and let me guess, it was either the mussels or it was the ground pork. It was the, the ground pork. pork. Was, yeah, that yeah. is just burn your face off, spicy. And too much, for you know. Me. But they have a warning on it. They say Thai spicy. It was on like it, the so. first week they were open. Well, I, don't okay. know if they, I don't know if they. I don't know if the warning was and on they, there yet. And they may have. And I was out with a woman. <laughs> no, no, I, I watched trying to impress. No, I watched our friend Jamie Mustard eat that meal, and the sweat just started to build up. and and he has actually pretty decent tolerance for for spice, and he was he was struggling with it. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not, I do it once in a while, just yeah. uh, when I want to punish just myself. To prove but. that you're a man. 
<laughs> so, um, but you know, I hear. I, I'm glad to, that you said that personally because every hot guy, you know, is right up there on almost yeah. every list right now. And because of that, I've always been. Uh, I need to get back. And, uh, and number Al, five. And Alan has uh, has been yeah. a great guy and supportive of things that we do, and so is Earl. So, yeah, um, yeah and the chef there, T, and everybody—they're actually really into their knives. Actually, really into their knives. That whole, you know, them, Paddy, Longbon. That's really, a high really into the knives. Oh, yeah. So, pod, right, all of them. Yeah. Cool. Anyone else? So that's. Uh, See, uh, I mean, there's so many that I, you know, so usually I try to find out what people are into. Right. But always high just... in the list are, you know, cocaine and pigeon and um, the whiskey library, uh, I think is a must. You just have to poke your head in there at least. Um, go get the uh, Abu Hassan hummus over at the downtown Shalom, y'all. I, I think I tried to send you down there. Well, I, I went, yeah. the, I went. I think that right after I saw you, and, I went to uh, the you went to the southeast, southeast event, yeah, Shalom. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I cool. went to their Israeli uh, dim sum. Right. Uh, yeah. That oh, how was that? Too. Uh, it was uh, it was amazing, and one of the it was very fun to go there because I've been out of Israel so long, so it was interesting to see what you know. Uh, well, for those who don't know what went on, they have a um, uh, so that's Plaza del resident Toro. chef right has program a res- chef and resident yeah. Yeah, and yeah, and they um, they brought in three chefs from Tel Aviv, and they did uh, they did a series of meals, and they had some stuff on the menu, I think. And, but this one is a uh, they called it uh, Israeli dim sum, mm-hmm. and the only thing dim sum about it was that they were just walking around, and you know whatever plate you wanted to grab, that you could grab. So uh, it was cool for me. I'm into more traditional Israeli food, but it was cool to see what's happening a little bit more modern kind of what's going on in Tel Aviv, even though I do go there, but mm-hmm. it was nice to see it here. And then it's this a, one it, guy named Bensi, I don't, I forget his last name, but he made a plate of hummus with uh, shaved white truffles on it. That was one of the most amazing things I've ever eaten, I think. Wow. So that was a highlight. Yeah, that was a highlight I wonder if me. Shalom will adopt, the, you know, take some of the best hits from that kind of event. They're flying chefs in. You may as well yeah. have something, have some effect <laughs> after the fact rather than just the event but it, i think what what john gorham and renee and ron have done is to do those sorts of things dim sum chefs from elsewhere and bringing yeah. them into portland it's yeah. it's really important yeah it was a lot of fun a yeah. lot of fun for us good so um how old is your how many kids did you one so i've had two two, two. Right, right, yeah two. i have a i have a one-year-old simone i have a four-year-old named leo okay so you don't get to go out very much and then nah no nah, no nah, i definitely don't <laughs> do you have any spots that you like to take them that are kid friendly that we yeah. go um i mean at that age i had kind of like, yeah we're, we're not going anywhere it's a weird it's a it's tough age right yeah. there it depends on the week you know one week they'll be well behaved Next week they got some excess energy and they like to throw food and right. and um, yeah I would say we but use, you got the knives you got the you got the power <laughs> not over kids <laughs> not over kids they don't they don't recognize it's just my a threat it's just yeah, a threat. they don't recognize my authority yeah <laughs> yeah but there aren't uh, you know Portland itself is very you know is very kid friendly uh, but the places that I that I like to eat at are usually not right. Very kid friendly. We do end up at Hot Yai a lot with them. Yeah, Leo Leo loves a chicken there and sticky rice, and you know we haven't given him the pork yet. Um, but yeah, yeah I wish I try could. Try that. Uh, <laughs> I'd love to see a kid with, with 
That would be interesting. Yeah, I wish I could recommend some kid-friendly stuff, but, you know, honestly, the places that I like to eat are just not, yeah, just no, not that right. good for I was kids. Just, I was just curious because, yeah. you know, you're, li- you're at this stage of your life. Someday they'll be older and it'll be different. I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying yeah. going out with my kids, you know, drinking beers now. So Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a, I'm waiting for that day. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a ways off, but it goes fast. <laughs> it is, I'm just getting started. It, it goes really fast. And you know what? So does the time here. Yeah. It goes really fast. We're... Uh, mm-hmm. We're just about there. So, yeah. so you mentioned website. You're not like an Instagram person. I'm going to guess. Well, we have an Instagram now. It's also, I think it's. Um, I should know this, right? It's it's uh, knife house uh, underscore pdx underscore phx. I think. Uh, well, we'll tell you what. We'll confirm that. <laughs> you give us that. We'll put it on the right at the yeah. fork page okay. when this runs. So all right, I'll have to figure that out. There. We finally have one. I got it right here. The, the knife house underscore pdx underscore phx. But there we, we go. But we want people to go to the website. Right. Oh, it's so, true. I'll yeah. just cut this part out. And by the way, <laughs> the knife. We can make up that we're giving away a three hundred dollar knife if you go to the website and register too. So. <laughs> Um, anyway, thanks so much for coming uh, in, man. It so was awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, this was great. It's uh, it's one of the things I love about what we do is meeting people like you. I would not mm. do that. It would not happen. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And serendipity to walk into Paiche having yeah. a vegan meal where they probably don't need, well, he needs it to prepare. But in terms but, of uh, eating that food, you don't need a knife. I have no idea about his knives, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you will find out. Thanks. Thank you. All right, absolutely, yeah. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at foodpodcastpdx or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com.